More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. On this episode of the Family Business Voice, we speak to Rob Lackenauer and Josh Barron from Banyan Global about their new book, the Harvard Business Review Family Business Handbook. We spoke about why family businesses are such adept survivors and why we should challenge common misconceptions about them. Enjoy this episode with Rob and Josh. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Family Business of Voice. I'm happy to be here today with Josh and Rob. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much for having us. It's a delight to be here. Fantastic. And, and we are here actually on a very special occasion because the two of you have just recently released a brand new book, which is entitled The Family Business Handbook, How to Build and Sustain a Successful Enduring Enterprise. So essentially, how to make dreams come true, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, this sounds amazing. <laughs> Guys, talk to us about motivation. I know that you've both been in this field and advising family businesses for a really long time, have done so for many families around the world. But talk to us about this particular book. Like, What made you compile your insights into this particular work and why now? I think one of the things is, as you know, the family businesses are the predominant form of ownership all around the world. And the data varies, but you re- and the, by country it will vary. But between say thirty-five and eighty percent of businesses are family businesses, and we were really struck after working for more than a decade with family businesses how many misconceptions there are about family businesses. You read in the press that family businesses are hotbeds of conflict. When we work with our clients, there's often conflict, but often they're in there avoiding conflict. And the problem is more, they, they need actually more conflict to make the decisions they want. Another thing is that there's a misconception that family businesses don't last. It's this three-generation rule. In fact, they outlast other forms of ownership. There's a sense that if you just fix the family dynamic, everything will be fine. When what we found working with great clients is family dynamic, super important. And the decisions that owners make are really the key to the longevity of family businesses. We can list 10 other things that we think are misconceptions that we deal with in the book. And we're trying to break those myths and give a useful pathway for families that want to work together across generations. I'll just add to that. I think, um, you know, beyond just being a common form of ownership, really believe in the value of family ownership. Family businesses tend Mm -hmm. to be better employers. They're more responsible corporate citizens. They're better stewards of the environment. So I think we really see the value of family businesses to economies around the world. Um, In our consulting practice, we'll only ever get to work with a, a small sliver of uh, those family businesses. And so we've had the pleasure uh, to learn over this time and share it with a much broader range of family businesses. Um, and the last reason is because if, if Harvard Business Review asks you to write a book, uh, the answer should probably be yes most of the time. And 
we've had a great partnership with HBR over really the last eight or nine years. And um, it just feels like a, a capstone of, of that of that work that we've been doing with them. So that's the kind of call that you answer. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly, like that's, exactly that's the right. kind of call you pick up, guys. And that's the yeah. kind of book you will write when you're asked. <laughs> so this is this is amazing. I think let's just like dive a little deeper, though, because um, actually, Rob, what you mentioned just before as one of the reasons, what well, one of the motivators that you wrote this is like there are all these misconceptions in around family businesses. And uh, I just wanted to quickly touch upon this. Like, why do you guys think that? It's taken us so long to recognize the family business as an important economic player. A great question. I think there's several factors. I'll mention a couple. I think Josh will also have some input on this. One of the things that drives it is that they are privately held and they don't have to report their, say, their financials or anything else. Uh, one of the chapters in the book we call Inform, and it's a, it's a choice as an owner who you inform about your family business. Most of the clients that we work with are super private. They don't want their business to be known that they, maybe that they own it, but that's about it. So it's really hard for reporters to dig in, to know what's going on. And importantly, for business schools to dig in and business professors to get any kind of good data about what's going on inside. I went, when I went to business school, gosh, I would say, you know, 5% of the cases were about family businesses and 95% when maybe half of the population that was being, should have been studied was family businesses. There was one course out of probably a hundred uh, at business schools on family business. So the desire to maintain their privacy as owners and the lack of data coming through the system, uh, I think are two of the things. I'll just add a couple. Um, one is I think they make for incredible dramatic stories. You know, when you have this potent mix of, you know, family dynamics and business and wealth and all this kind of stuff, when that goes wrong, it goes horribly wrong, right? And, it, you know, it's sort of a stranger than fiction and then actually makes for good fiction stories. You know, that if you think about, you know, there's probably more, Rob said, how many family business cases there are in business school. Compare that to how many family business dramas there are on TV, uh, you know, there's, there's succession, there, there's like all, there's yeah. Dynasty Dallas, like there's a lo- actually a long history of, of family business based dramas. And so I think that the stories that pop out into the news are, are really compelling. And that's what draws the attention. That's what sells magazines. That's what, you know, mm. that's what gets eyeballs on websites and, and TV shows. Let's talk a little bit about fear-mongering or rather the context that we operate in today, because really I don't think it's necessary with what we're looking at today as an environment. There doesn't seem to be any need to additionally add a sense of urgency (laughs) because quite frankly, this first quarter of this century has been just incredibly tumultuous and eventful. I mean, like from, from the very first year of the 2000s, we've been confronted with transformational uh, events characterized, I would say, by extremely fast-paced change and will be rewarding those that show extreme agility and innovation. Where does that leave the family business? Like, what are the ingredients and what makes for a successful family business in this particular century? 
so the premise being in this century to date, it's it's been really rough. And I would agree with that. Uh, COVID, the Great uh, Recession, and many other things are sweeping through. So many changes are sweeping through much, much faster. One of the things I would posit, I learned from this client, we were, were doing a growth strategy. And they're in the construction business, really up and down. And we're dealing with the third generation, but the second generation patriarch was still there. And from my BCG days, I was kind of pulling in the tools about how to grow uh, grow a business and seemed the conversations were going great. And then one afternoon, the patriarch pulled me into his office, sat me down and said, yes, boy, I want to make something really clear here. In our business, we survive first, we profit second, and we grow third. Mm -hmm. And if we get those out of order, we may not have a business to give to the next generation. So his focus on survival, you can almost be Darwinian about it and say survival of the fittest, is front of mind. You know, if you are in a venture-backed firm and it goes under, what happens? You go to that next venture-backed firm. If you're in a family business, oh, you've so much more. You'd be you'd be the generation that didn't make it through. You'd probably lost your business. You'd probably hurt your family. You might've lost your identity. There's a focus on survival and difficult times, which I think is much deeper and profound and meaningful in a family business. So that's just the teaser. And then over to Josh. <laughs> I think there are things that family businesses are really good at and things they're not very good at. Um, in terms of competing in a marketplace. And the things that they're not very good at are, are scale compared to, other, if you think about scale as getting as big as you can, as fast as you can, in order to do that, you need access to as much capital as you can possibly get through public markets, through debt equity, all that kind of stuff. And when the competition is primarily about scale, then family businesses tend to suffer. And you know, certainly in the West, in the 20th century, when we went through this whole massive industrialization, a, a period of economic growth that we had never seen before as a species, and we probably will never see again, mm -hmm. um, family businesses, you know, had a tough time um, competing at the highest levels of the of the economy, and that is true today still. If we look at technology, you know, fields of technology, anywhere, anything where there's a winner takes all, first one to get there, those are things that family businesses are going to struggle at. And you know, one of our one of our colleagues and some some folks at BCG did some research about family businesses across the business cycle. And it turns out that when the economy is doing really well, family businesses underperform non-family businesses. Mm. When the economy is doing very poorly, family businesses outperform. And over the course of a business cycle, at least the one they studied, they actually did better when you add add the two together. And so I think that on the plus side. The things that family businesses are really good at are the kinds of things that, that Rob is talking about, that mm -hmm. they're, they're better at being resilient, of making very big changes very quickly. You could pivot a family business in a very short period of time because the owners are so connected uh, to the management. There's a lot of alignment there. Um, they're also very well positioned to do some of the stuff that's becoming increasingly important in this economy. If you look at the literature on, on sort of management today, people are focusing on employee engagement and sort of values-based leadership. Well, that's something family businesses have always been, been really good at. They're focusing on the difficulties of short-termism of you know, what, you know, managing towards the quarterly earnings cycle as opposed to what really creates long-term economic value. 
Well, family businesses tend to have a generational time horizon, as Rob described, rather than a quarterly one. And, and there's a lot of focus on, on building trust with consumers, about being responsible environmental stewards, about paying attention to the community, about diversity and inclusion. That, you know, these are things, again, family businesses, you know, study after study says they're better at building trust than non-family businesses. So I actually believe very strongly, I think there's a lot of evidence to support this, that the, you know, forget about Google and Facebook and you know those kinds of companies. That gets 90% of the attention in the business world. But if you look at the vast majority of the business world about what's happening in most industries, the things that family businesses are innately good at are becoming more and more important, which gives them the ability to compete at the highest level in ways that probably wasn't true, at least in you know, developed countries, probably 30 or 40 years ago. I have a question with regards to what you both just said, because what I'm always intrigued by is, to be quite fair, I think for a lot of us as family businesses, family ownership is almost like a coincidence, right? Like mm. it's not necessarily something that anyone went out with intention to to build from the outset. This is this is probably most likely the case still in the second generation, like I'm in, or even in the third generation, and you actually know the founding story. You know, I know our family business story is pretty much a coincidence, and I, I have no intention of pretending otherwise. It's really interesting, though, right? Like, so how that pivotal moment, I guess, comes for any family business to decide whether family ownership actually is part of the competitive advantage. What have you guys seen in terms of, like, you know, that moment in time where a family sort of like needs to have that conversation, whether family ownership should remain the priority and whether it constitutes a tangible competitive advantage. Are these always moments of succession or are these moments of like, you know, industry disruption, for instance? Like, can you give us some examples? I think you're right. There, there's both the the accidental family business and the purposeful family business. And um, there is a choice out there about what happens to your business when you're gone. And, you know, I think ultimately there's not a right or wrong answer, but we really do encourage people to say, if you're going to create a family business, make sure you're willing to do the work. Uh, you don't just leave it behind and say, okay, I'll leave it to you to sort out, you know, all these dynamics and challenges and so on. That's not my problem. I'm going to be dead. I've heard that one too many times. Like I'm going to be gone. Not my problem. You figured out. Well, if you want it to last, of course it is, it is your problem. You have to help, you know, put people in a position to be successful. As owners, you can want whatever you want. You can want to grow your business to be really big. You can want to take a lot of money out. You can want to control the whole thing so that all of your cousins can work together. And no one's going to tell you. There's no shareholder other than yourself. There's no boss of owners. As owners, you're your own boss, which is both super cool and also kind of super scary because there's, very there's stressful. no- yeah, it's Very stressful. Yeah, it's all about, it's all about <laughs> what you want. And yeah. that's- it's a little of a scary question to put out there. Uh, so what we try to do in the book is put a lot of tools in to say, if you ask that question, here's some decision guides, here's some frameworks to help you together make those kind of decisions. So talking about family dynamics, which is also, I think, something that needs to be talked of more in the context of the, of the family business. What do you guys think in terms of the changing family structures that we see these days in, you know, are we going towards a, a dialogue that is more open around family dynamics and their impact on decision-making and ownership in the family business? Do you think we're able to slowly have that conversation at a very honest level? Only with a lot of work mm -hmm. would be my quick answer. Um, 
strikingly, at least half of our clients, probably two thirds of our clients at some time, look at us in the eye and say, aren't we the worst family you've ever met? <laughs> because there's some conflict in the family. You know, I don't yeah. like my brother. I couldn't. Da, 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 da. What we see is the demands on the family relationships in a family business are so much higher than the demands on the Baron family or the Lackenauer family, because we don't have a family businesses. The decisions we make are, you know, what to watch on Netflix on Saturday night or what to have to dinner or some, you know, some are bigger than that, but nothing like the pressure cooker that happens in a family business. So no wonder it's tough to make great decisions together as a family, because if you're not doing the work you won't be ready for the decisions. And that's why we say you got to do work in the owner room we talked about. There's a lot of work that we see uh, in the family room about how to build family unity. And to your point about the expanding kind of morphing modern family, our interpretation of that is that means more work. It's challenging because families are programmed to get along. Mm. Like, you know, we there's a sense that, you know, Whatever issue it is, it's not worth ruining holiday, vacation, relationship over mm. it. And so there, and there's also, there's this expectation. I was talking to one family um, who really was struggling with a lot of conflict. And at one point, one of them just stood up and said, look, we don't have to be best friends. Like, you know, for this yeah. family business to work, we have to be good business partners, which means finding common ground, finding common goals learning to respect each other's contributions, the stuff that good business partners do. And if, if we want to also spend a lot of time together, that's wonderful. But I think there is this weight of expectations that really is built into families and therefore gets built into family businesses. This notion that don't ruin the holiday, don't ruin you know this person's birthday because of some disagreement about a business issue or dividends or greed or whatever, push that stuff under the rug. Right. And then this is what we were saying earlier about how, you know, too little conflict is actually much more common in family businesses because mm -hmm. you just avoid all these issues. And then they, you know, that either you you just start disconnecting because the business starts to stagnate, your relationships feel less authentic if you can't be your true self or it blows up. You know, it's easy to say this, but most families just have to work on how do we have conflict in a more productive fashion? I mean, I think a lot of what you guys are saying resonates so much and will resonate with most people that have a family business background. To be fair, though, I think context dictates a lot yes. of what is possible here, right? Yes. Like, Or what seems possible. The way we are raised, the cultural context we are raised in, like the economic context we are raised in. And as you both know, like a big part of Tharwat Magazine being set up was because we wanted to have a more global conversation about family businesses. When you guys set out to write a handbook like that, how do you make sure that, and can it even be ensured that such a handbook is applicable across cultures, across the board? All of this totally resonates, but I think depending on what culture you're from or what context you're from, having these conversations is exponentially harder in some areas like of the world than in others. What kind of a conversation did you guys have as co-authors about like, how can we make this applicable to as many contexts as possible? You know, this is always a question we get asked a lot, you know, how much is the same and how much is different, um, you know, in family businesses around the world. And my view is that it's somewhere like 80% the same, 
Um, you know, there's, there is, we actually talk in the book about this dynamic called sameness, which is that if you put people, no matter where they're from or their context into a similar situation, they will behave similarly. Mm -hmm. And if you put a group of siblings together or a group of cousins together, or you've got a founder to a second generation transition, a lot of these dynamics are going to resemble each other in very powerful ways. And so I do think that there is an important extent to which the, the what we're talking about should be you know, applicable in most contexts. Now, of course, there are important you know, contextual elements that are going to drive differences. You know, and the, the ones that we point to in the book and, and I think are, we see in our practice are you know, the legal context is super important. So I think that, you know, legal contexts are important, cultural contexts are important, but I think sometimes we overestimate the country culture and underestimate the family culture. Because mm -hmm. even though, you know, you're going to be influenced by the country of origin, you're going to be even more influenced by the specific things that have happened to your family. It's good to sort of be contingent and say these things vary, but also Try to get away from the idea that you know your family is so unique that there's nothing you can learn from others. There's a lot of value. There's a lot of experience that can be beneficial. You have to interpret it through your own lens. I think for the sake of like looking at these conversations almost like grids where you sort of cover the horizontals and verticals here. And then let me throw in, I guess, like a diagonal as to what we've been talking about right now, which is, of course, like the, the whole conversation about next gen in the family business. So like, are you a good next generation owner if you're not actually active in the business? I think that's one of the very big questions that many um, next generation members face in consideration of the huge amount of wealth transference that we're facing in the next uh, decade or so. Did you guys write this book with the next generation particularly in mind? Or is it like segmented more towards like a senior generation that, you know, is in charge? Because what, what we often see is that there's a segmentation of that kind of advice for family business members. And I was just wondering, you know, who should read this book? Is it for everyone and why? The single most important word in the book is together. And we wrote it with that in mind. If you're in a family business system and you're the only one to kind of read it being current generation or next generation, it'll help a little. If you read it together in your family and talk about whatever ideas are useful for you together, that's really where you'll, you'll find the value because eventually you will need to make decisions together. If there's a very strong patriarch, first generation, and he's saying, this is a family business and the next generation, the kids aren't interested. He doesn't have a family business. He has a single generation family business. I mean, that's our hope is that people use this as a, you know, if you, if you read the book and we hope you do, uh, that you use it as a chance to have some of these conversations and we'll feel like we've been successful if it spurs you to, to have some, some of those conversations and to find some, some practical things that you can do differently as a family. The Harvard Business Review Family Business Handbook, How to Build and Sustain a Successful Enduring Enterprise. Uh, thank you very much to the authors, Josh and Rob, for being on the Family Business Voice today. Everyone can click on the link below this podcast to go and check out the book and hopefully buy it. Thank you both for being on the show today. Thank you for such a great, thoughtful interview. Your questions are deep and meaningful. So we thank you for them. They are. And thank you for the work that you're doing to help build out this really important field. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes. 